I uh, wanted to talk about a subject today that came about in a way that not most, most of my sermons do not come about this way, but occasionally they do. And in this case, uh, I got a phone call from a lady. Uh, folks folks will, will call me and reach out occasionally and say, hey, have you ever thought about giving a sermon on this topic? And uh, Sometimes I have, sometimes I said, well, I gave that just last week, didn't you? Didn't, no, I, I, it's usually a little bit uh, farther from that. But, but uh, in this case, uh, this, this woman and I talk usually once every couple of months. She's not in our area, but we always have good, good conversations over the phone, things that, uh, about which she's thinking, concepts and uh, challenges. Uh, but uh, in this case, she left a message on my phone. And I tried to call her back, she tried to call me back, I tried to call her back, and all I really got was a topic. And so I don't know if she'll end up listening to this or not, and I have no idea if, if what I'll talk about today has anything to do with, with what uh, she wanted me to discuss. But it triggered some thoughts in my mind that I thought would be uh, interesting to consider uh, for all of us today. Let's begin by going to Daniel 11. Daniel 11, and those of you who are familiar with the book of Daniel know that it is one of the longest, as we look at chapters, it's one of the longest prophetic chapters uh, in, in God's Word and goes through a series of events in detail. You know, here, here Daniel is, uh, what is it, 530s or so B.C., when he's delivering uh, this prophecy that he's given, he's put this down and it's, and it's recorded later. And, and much of the events of Daniel 11 deal with uh, the events in the, the 100s uh, B.C. Uh, down into even, even uh, coming up to the, the Roman Empire in the, in the, time, of the, the time of Christ. But uh, there is a, a passage here that, that speaks to the subject uh, about what I want to cover uh, today. Uh, while you're turning there, and you've probably gotten there, but I'm, I'm going to make a statement, uh, deep thoughts by Andy here. Politics reek of flattery. As, as we watch uh, different sides of the aisle talk, uh, and, and hearing flattery uh, as, as you'll see different, as we'd see different presentations that, that uh, different uh, politicians make. And, and another term that comes up often is pandering, pandering to the audience. I, I had a vision of my mind of what, of what, a vision of my mind of what I would define pandering as. It was interesting looking up uh, that definition of, of pander uh, goes back to a play of a person whose name was pander, but pandering originally uh, had the connotation of a person who worked out uh, liaisons, uh, inappropriate liaisons uh, occurring, things that were very much uh, inappropriate. But now when we think of pandering to the audience, uh, how would we define that? that that's how I uh, uh, envision that. But we see politics that do that. They pander uh, to the audience. And from the Cambridge Dictionary, uh, pandering is, is to do or provide exactly what a person or a group wants. You know, I, I give them what they want, especially when it's not acceptable, reasonable, or approved of, usually in order to gain some kind of personal advantage. But they'll, they'll pander to the audience. They'll pander to this group because they know this group would really, really want to hear that. And then from that, then, 
they'll, they'll get votes, they'll get, uh, they'll get accolades, and, and they'll gain in notoriety, and they'll gain in popularity, and then they get themselves uh, 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 voted in into office. But we, we see pandering going uh, on a lot. We see the sycophants that uh, surround them in uh, that situation. Well, Daniel 11 speaks of an individual who pandered, uh, an individual who used flatteries, I think, as the, as the, uh, old, uh, the authorized King James mentions. But we're, we're talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV. He was the one who offered swine's flesh uh, on... Uh, on the altar in Jerusalem in one, what was it, 166, 167 BC, uh, the abomination of desolation that's talked about. We'll, we'll catch that here in a second. But let's, uh, let's pick up the story a little bit earlier. Uh, quite a bit is, is discussed about this fellow named Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, Daniel 11, verse 21, he's known as the vile person. Verse 21, after... Uh, Another king, I believe that was Seleucus IV, uh, Philopater. But in, in verse 21, and in his place shall arise a vile person. This is around 171 B.C. Here, here Daniel is prophesying in the 530s. So we're, we're talking quite a few hundred years after that, this would take place. And, and it did take place. This person did come along. Uh, so it says in verse 21, in this place shall, this place shall arise a vile person in whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but this, this vile person shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue, is the way the New King James renders it. That, that, uh, that word there is, uh, is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It's, uh, it's, I've, it's one of those that I've always had trouble discerning between, is it, is it Hebrew or is it Klingon? Uh, because of the way it's, it's pronounced, but it's kalaklakot. And I just think if I can say that in Klingon, clock, clock, clock. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's like the forehead has the ridges and everything as I, as I make that statement. But it's a, it's a reduplication word. There's another word that's kalakha uh, that is translated flattery, but kalakha is like a, 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 double, a double type of, of word here of intrigue. Uh, I think some translate it as flattery, but it is uh, properly, according to Strong's, something very smooth. Kalaklakko uh, does not sound smooth, but, but it really is. It is saying something very smooth uh, in, a fig, uh, in, a, in a treacherous spot. Figuratively, blandishment. Blandishment is, is not a word that we hear uh, used a lot, but blandish, according to Webster's, is, is a flattering or a coaxing, uh, a working in a smooth way to coax or, or flatter. Uh, this, this flattery or slippery kind of, of definition. Of course, flatter, the root word is, uh, of, of flattery, is, is smooth. You know, to, and what is flattery? Flattery is to, to praise insincerely. I'm praising someone, but not in sincerity. There, there's an ulterior motive. It's not really uh, an, ob an objective view of, of what a person has said or done but I'm doing it insincerely for a reason, to try to please uh, by praising, to make seem more attractive than is really the case, to gratify the vanity uh, of someone. And it's generally always employed for the purpose of gaining favor or advantage. 
flattery, intrigue. Well, this, this individual, Antiochus uh, Epiphanes, did just that. Let's read on here, uh, Daniel 11, uh, 20, 22. So he, he seizes the kingdom by intrigue. With the force of a flood, they shall be swept away uh, from before him and be broken. And also the prince of the covenant, the, the, also this individual, uh, Ptolemy Philometor, the son of uh, Cleopatra, Antiochus' sister, uh, was, was swept away in this. Uh, notice verse 23, after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. Antiochus Epiphanes uh, came down and, and through smooth words, through deceitful words, through flattery, ingratiated himself into a relationship uh, there with those in Egypt and then brought his forces down uh, in, in full force. At first he came in with a small number and, and entreated them with all of his flatteries and, and intrigue and then swept down with the, the force of a, of a smaller group uh, and, and took over that area. Uh, let's look at verse 24. He shall enter peaceably even into the richest places of the province and he shall do what his fathers have not done nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, the spoil, and the riches. He shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. He'll stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south, uh, in this case, would, would try to fight back, uh, but, but this king of the south shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yes, those who eat of the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. This, this individual was very powerful and very cunning and very smooth and very slippery. Talks later in verse 31, we see uh, uh, discuss more about Antiochus Epiphanes as he came down and, and had control not only of Egypt, but then also in, in areas of, of around Jerusalem. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. You know, that's where we, we hear the thing about offering swine's flesh on the altar, the altar of the Lord. And he even you know, declared the temple mosaic ceremonies to be illegal. So uh, continuing now, those who do wickedly against the covenant shall shall he uh, he shall corrupt with flattery that's a kalaka uh, flatteries or, or, or flattery but the people who know their god shall be strong and carry out great exploits and we believe that that's speaking to the the, the maccabees uh, of that time uh, verse 33 and those of the people who understand shall instruct many and yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame by captivity and plundering Verse 34, now when they fall, they shall be aided. So uh, some people with whom God was working at that time, he said, would, would be aided. They shall be aided with a little help, but many, many shall join them by intrigue. And there is that, that term again, kalak lakal. So he was saying that even false uh, people who were not believers, but, but maybe were, were concerned about the power that the Maccabeans were having as they revolted against this, uh, 
against this Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, you know, we're thinking, you know, maybe, oh, well, the Maccabees are, are, are getting more and more power. We better, we better align ourselves with them for now, and, and, and then we'll be safe, and then, then we'll, we'll shift over here. Uh, but, so there would be some that would sneak in by, by uh, flattery or slipperiness or intrigue. Interesting that it talks about uh, that period of time and, and the work of, of this individual. I wanted to use that as, a, as an introduction to talk about this subject today. And this is basically all that the lady had said on the phone call when she left a message. She asked the question, have we or, or do God's people ever allow ourselves to acquire a taste for flattery? I don't want us to just dismiss that today. I want us to think about that. I want to, I want to delve into the subject of, of concepts like flattery, uh, uh, pandering, of, of praise, of, of giving praise, of, of receiving praise. When does it cross the line and become flattery? When does what we say to someone else cross the line of praise and move into the realm of flattery? Those... Uh, if you've ever been in that situation where we may have said something, and when we think back on it, you know, to, to encourage somebody, but when we think back on it, maybe we realize, you know what, I, I said that, but it really wasn't true. I, I was trying to build this person up, but as I really think about it, I wasn't really being truthful. Uh, I, I was trying to, to, to build them up and encourage them, but, but I did so in such a way that was not... Uh, rooted or grounded in truth. And then we see the reaction of that individual toward us in a positive manner, and we get a taste. We get a taste of, of what flattery did if we stop and we look back and, and think, you know what, I, I wasn't, quite, wasn't quite being completely forthright as I crossed the line from, from praise to flattery. I want us to, to, to think about that today. So have you and I allowed ourselves to acquire a taste for flattery? Not just giving uh, flattery, a taste of the, of the success of that, but a taste of also re, re, receiving uh, the flattery of others. And, I, and we use that word uh, or that phrase carefully uh, with meaning uh, because what do we mean when we say how do you acquire a taste for something? Think, think of some of the things that, that, that in your life or in our lives that we've, we've had to acquire a taste for. Uh, what are some for you? I know uh, one of mine was, uh, I remember the first time I tasted beer. I thought, that is awful. It, ah, it, it left a horrible taste in my mouth. Since then, I have acquired a taste for beer. I, I'm not a drunken, but I, I, do, like, I, I do like a beer. I, I do like a nice cold beer. Uh, I, like, I like a non-alcoholic beer with a twist of lime. I like a dark beer that increases the hair on my chest. I, I like all types. I, li I, like, I like mostly all types of beer. I do not like IPAs. Those are so bitter. I have not acquired a taste uh, for uh, IPAs. Uh, what about Brussels sprouts? How, how many of you here have acquired a taste for Brussels sprouts? I have yet to acquire a taste for Brussels sprouts and do not intend to acquire a taste for Brussels sprouts in my lifetime. 
I am not acquiring a, a an enjoyment of the smell of Brussels sprouts in our home, even though two out of the three of our home have outvoted me on that and continue to do that on Friday evening despite my imploring otherwise. But uh, there are some things that, uh, which I have never developed a, a taste for, but, uh, but it could be uh, chewing tobacco. How many of you that have tried chewing tobacco said, wow, that is incredible, the first time it went into your mouths, ladies? No, I don't know. Do, do ladies do chewing tobacco? That's just uh, in, in certain backwoods areas. But uh, anyway, I, I remember, I've told you this before, but my dad gave me, uh, I wanted red man chewing tobacco. He was chewing it. I wanted some. So he gave it to me, uh, as any good father would, at you know age eight or nine. And I put that in my mouth and sucked on it and swallowed it, and I... I I've never had any desire for any tobacco product ever since. But, I, but, but that gets to the point. How do we acquire a taste for something? Uh, Andrew Zimmern, uh, uh, a chef that, that wrote in a Time article back uh, February 5th, 2016, said one of the ways. How do you acquire a taste for it? We, we have to try it multiple times. As, as we try it, as we do it more and more often, how many people the first time they ever tried smoking said, wow, this is really great. Uh, it, it's not that. It's they're hacking and coughing and, and wow, it's awful. But maybe if I keep at it, I can acquire a, a, a taste, if you could say that, a taste for it. Uh, spinach, beets, okra. I, I cannot acquire a taste for okra, except if it's deep batter fried and I pour tons of ketchup on it. I, I, I can eat okra, but a lot of people that, that have acquired a taste for okra. I have developed a, a, a taste for cauliflower, despite the cruciferous smell uh, which is attributed uh, to that and other cruciferous vegetables uh, that are in our, in our midst. But, but try it multiple times. We develop a taste for it. Another way is to try it different ways. Uh, you know, with foods, you know, we think of it, it inspired by different cultures, as Andrew Zimmern says. But the third area uh, that he says that helps us de develop or acquire a taste for something is when in doubt, use a touch of salt, a touch of sugar, or a touch of fat. And I think of cauliflower, which I hated, but she puts salt and pepper on that thing, she roasts that, she puts oil in it and butter, and you know what? It's good. I, I've acquired a, a taste for cauliflower. Well, that is positive because cauliflower, I think, is supposed to be good for us. But in, in reflecting on, on flattery, uh, these, these kinds of principles are at work as well to, to begin to develop a taste for it. It may feel awkward at first when it happens, but, but it can be something to which we can acquire a taste for, again, being able to receive or being able to give. I want each of us to consider that today. Don't dismiss it right away. Think about it. How do we operate in our conversations with others? We know that uh, flattery is uh, pandering. Uh, it's a ploy of Satan. Satan 
pandered to Adam and Eve, didn't he, at the Garden of Eden? Hey, you know, God's holding out on here. You, you got, you've got this potential. If you'll just eat of this, this is, this is what's really going to be good for you. Come on, I mean, look at yourselves. You guys, you guys are here. You too. You can do this. God's holding out on you uh, and coaxing and pandering to them. And then he was doing that all the time to gain personal advantage. Have we developed a taste for the advantage or the favor that we receive by flattering others? Have we developed a taste for receiving uh, praise, receiving compliments, receiving being lauded by others for something that goes beyond what would be scriptural in terms of appreciating uh, a compliment that another gives us. So are we discerning when we're praised? Are we, are we discerning when we're complimented or, or lauding, uh, lauded by others for something? Praise feels good. Praise feels good. Uh, so is it a good thing or is it a bad thing to, to receive praise? Is it a good thing or a bad thing to give praise? Well, we know from Scripture it, it's a good thing. But we'll go back and forth on uh, giving and receiving uh, today. We'll go back and forth on giving and receiving praise. And then we'll also talk about uh, that discussion of where it begins to cross the line. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 2 to begin today. 1 Thessalonians 2. I apologize to Mr. Beltran as I did not put that in my notes as he's interpreting. First uh, Thessalonians 2. I want I wanted to talk about a subject because we're also talking to some degree about parenting today. Uh, in terms of, of praise, and, and, and that praise, praise is a good thing to give. We see that uh, from God. We see that uh, towards God. We see that uh, with, with, with parenting. We see that uh, with, with others. Uh, as, as we look at the examples of Paul and, and uh, John, in particular those two, uh, for, for giving praise. But one of the things that, that comes up sometimes, depending on our backgrounds, and some of us are from different generations, a different time when things were done differently, but uh, you know, reflect back on, on your upbringing and, and what that environment was like with your parents. How often did you receive praise? How often, uh, how did that make you feel? Uh, was, was the praise when you received it genuine? Did you ever receive praise? Uh, some, uh, some cultures, uh, some, uh, some time periods, there, there, was, there was more of a feeling of, uh, I'm going to teach my child to do this, and if the child does what's expected once I've trained him, why should I need to thank that child? Why should I need to thank him for anything? He's doing what I've trained him to do. If I thank him or praise him for doing something all the time that he's supposed to do, he's going to do something so he can be praised for it versus doing something because it's what I've trained him to do and because it's right. I mean, there, there, is, there is, I think, a, um, there, there's some wisdom in, in a bit of that, but there is also uh, this, this passage here in 1 Thessalonians 2 that, that says that parenting is more than that. It's a, it's a lot more than, than just training them to do this and, and having this expectation uh, for which they should need no thanks. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 10, we've covered this before. Paul talks about his and, and the various uh, overseers who were looking after 
the church. He says in verse uh, verse 10 of chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians, You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we, Paul's saying, uh, behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted, uh, so he said, you know, how they're coming... uh, you know, behind the scenes and, and, and in front of everyone saying, you know, you can do it. You can do this. We can, they're encouraging them to do this and comforted coming in after the fact and, and comforting them and nurturing them, uh, after, after, whatever they said or did, uh, in, in interacting, uh, with, uh, within the church, and how we also charged everyone, uh, you know, this, this petitioning of saying, you know, go forth, uh, give witness to this, do this. So we, we have all of these situations. He says we, we exhorted, we comforted, and we nurtured all that, and, and we charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Well, some of us grew up in environments where that wasn't necessarily the case. We weren't necessarily nurtured and comforted. Uh, we weren't necessarily charged or uh, exhorted. Uh, and, and that has an impact on us. Some, some of us did. Some of us can say that we grew up in an, area, uh, in, in an environment where our, family, where our parents were, were very supportive of us and, and who recognized and, and took time to recognize the things that we said or the things that we did. And... And, and gave uh, uh, praise for that. that that's, a, that's a good thing. But you know, again, there's a balance. Uh, but we are, we are products of our upbringing. And, and those, those, those positives as well as those negatives tend, tend to f- come into our, our default mode of, of how we end up parenting. And we see that, that kind of going through generations at times, or we see just the opposite. This, this was so lacking here that we go way over here and go out of balance uh, in our generation. Then that next generation goes way over here, uh, back and forth. But, but these, these are, are, are factors. There is a, an encouragement factor. You can do it. There's a comforting and a nurturing factor uh, after, after the fact and a, a charging uh, in going forward and working with our, with our kids. Look at verse 13. Uh, well, he says, As a father does his own children, verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory, exhorting comforting, charging, that you would walk worthy of God and who calls you into his kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the words of men, but as it, as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you uh, who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. He's praising them there. He's saying, wow, you have really, really done, done well. And, and he's praising them in that. And he's also thanking God for that. Paul had the ability to do that. And, and, and by example, as we look at his example, we have to ask ourselves as parents, do, do we do that with our children? Do we praise them for the things that they are doing? Looking at, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. Had a, an individual with for whom I worked when I was at uh, college in, in Pasadena years ago. And if, uh, if there was ever a situation where he did something and you, you told him, 
thank you for doing this, uh, such and such. He'd say, don't thank me, thank God. And I think, okay. So I'll never thank you again for any, anything that you've done for me. Don't thank me, thank God. And I, I get what he's saying. Uh, I, I think I got what he was saying that, okay, I am this, this man, I, I, am, I am working here and I am striving to serve God. The, the things that I do that are beneficial come as a result of God dwelling in me and, and helping me. It's not of my own uh, power. So therefore, thank God for that. Don't thank me. But, but yet we're human beings. and God made us human beings. He made us part of a family, a family that interacts with one another and thanks and appreciates one another and charges and, and, and tries to... Uh, uh, exhort others to, to do better. There, there has to be some, some connection there. So anyway, I, I, I get what he was saying, but, but think about this. Do, do we receive praise in a correct manner? When, when someone praises you, how does that make you feel? Uh, do you flatly reject it? Uh, do you dismiss it? Uh, do, you, do you take it and say, Come on, come on, a little bit more, a little bit more. I need more. Give me more. Ooh, getting there, a little bit more. Uh, you know, what, what, where, how, how does that make you feel? Uh, I think that's something to really consider uh, e- either way uh, with, with respect to that as we, as we uh, continue. The danger of, of not being pleased with or, or not expressing appreciation for a job well done to our children when they've done something well, the danger of, of, of because we may flatly reject and feel very uncomfortable when anybody praises us, the danger of then giving nothing to, to that child uh, as that child does uh, what, what he or she should do or, or expressing a job well done, praising them, uh, can, can really cause discouragement in a young, in a young child and, and a, a lack of love and, and, and uh, appreciation. But, but at the, at the same, by the same token, we can run into a, a different situation where I've seen this happen sometimes and I've, I've caught myself doing this sometimes in, in parenting where we want so badly for our child to think and say and, and, and talk in the right manner that even when the child is not doing something or saying something that he or she should be saying or doing, we will praise them in a sense of, by modeling like, oh, this is the way we, we sh- you should be acting or you should be saying that. So we're, I, I, I've heard parents do this. I've been guilty of that too, where I'm, I'm being positive about what they're, what they're doing as in I'm wanting them to go that next step and then start to do something good versus no, that, that's, they're not doing what is right right now. They're not thinking what is right. They're not saying what is right. They're not behaving correctly. So I, it is not the time to praise them because that praise would be flattery, that it would be working in an ulterior, with an ulterior motive to get them to, to do something that uh, they should be doing. Paul, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, speaks to, to that in, in his actions here. Here he is dealing with a lot of challenges in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2, he starts by saying, Now I praise you, brethren. So he, he praises. That, that's good. It's good. He, he's going to praise them for something that they've been doing. 
That is, that is a godly thing to do, to uh, encourage and, and, uh, and again, attribute the things that they're doing uh, to them for doing that in a very positive way. Now, I praise you, brethren, that, that because you remember me in all things, so they, they have been keeping him in mind and, and remembering him in the, I think he's getting at to some degree the things that he's, he's tried to teach them, the things that uh, in thinking of, of all that he goes through and keeping him in their prayers. But I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and you keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. So the, the things that he told them they needed to be doing, they were doing, he's saying here. Uh, but, but now let's drop down uh, to verse 17. So he praised them for that. Verse 17, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna flatter you. I'm not gonna flatter you in such a way or cajole you or, or speak smooth words to kind of somehow trick you into doing this. I'm gonna tell you, this is not good. I do not praise you for this. Uh, I, he could do both. I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. Of course, this is talking about coming together for Passover and all the the problems they were having. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it, uh, for there must, there must be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. It's, it's been that way always, and it, and it will be that way. There will be factions and uh, things that rise up, people that are here that are not really here, not really not really living God's way of life that are playing a game and factions and those kinds of things will happen. God uh, allows that as he sees that because it, it, it shows in the end, ultimately, who is approved and who is not. Not Again, not that we don't have an accountability as overseers and as, as brethren to uh, deal with those situations as they arise. But he says the, these things are going to be happening. Therefore, he says, verse 20, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. Each one takes, it for an eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one's hungry and the other's getting drunk. Verse 22, what, do you not have houses uh, to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? And shame those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? You know, should I? Should I? Okay, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to kind of work around this and flatter them here and flatter them there. Do I pray, praise you in this? He says, I do not praise you. So he, he had the ability uh, as an overseer uh, uh, in working with them to, to show them uh, the need for both. So again, as we said, be very careful and, and as parents, step back and ask sometimes if in trying to get my child to do something that I know my child should be doing, doing, do I praise him or her for something that he or she is not doing that should be doing? Uh, so always want to make sure that we speak the truth and we speak the truth in love. Let's go to uh, Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25, verse 11. <clears throat> this is a, a passage that if you think of the Proverbs, uh, I think many here would, would have this, this passage come to mind about what comes out of our mouths and, and the ability to, to speak effectively in, in situations of, of, of interacting with others. Proverbs 25, we often read verse 
11, but uh, also verse 12 is, is just as important. Proverbs uh, 25, verse 11, a word fitly spoken. I think it's, it's uh, a given that the word fitly spoken is a word of truth. It's a word that, that is seasoned with grace and salt. It is the right thing to say at the right time. It is based on God's law and God's law of love, God's word, God's truth. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Very nice, very beautiful. It's, it's a perfect display. And then notice verse 12. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear speaks, uh, I think, to some degree of, of what Paul was doing. Paul was able to speak the words fitly for their benefit, but at the same time, he wisely rebuked them to an obedient ear, like we read what was a couple of weeks ago there in Hebrews 12 of, of, of how you know, with, with Esau, he did not live a pattern of life that was godly. He was not trained. His ear was not trained to correction. His ear was not attuned to that. So how are our ears looking lately? Have we, are, are, do they hear? Do they really listen? Are we, are we tuned in to wise, wise rebuking as, as we need it? Uh, I've always got to do that. And it's, it's easy to slip away from that. A person who is, is not attuned with an obedient ear to rebukes is a person that uh, conversely is going to subject him or herself, him, himself or herself to, to the impact of flattery. Why do we, or how can we, or why can we fall prey to flattery? I'm going to consider that a little bit. Why, why do we or why can we fall prey to flattery? Uh, one is, is, as we already mentioned, we could have grown up in a situation where we were so rarely praised, so rarely uh, acknowledged for, for things that we were trying to do right that we were starved for it. Uh, and, and to get that from someone, to receive that from them, is, is, is so... I wouldn't say intoxicating, but it's so different than what we've experienced that we gravitate towards that. It's a magnet, uh, and, and we're unable to be objective about what could really be going on behind the scenes. Uh, some of us have probably been there because of whatever our upbringing was. We all of a sudden found ourselves in a situation where an individual did that, and we fell prey to that. That, that, that That's one way that, that can happen. It just unable to remain uh, clearly objective to see the, with, with clear visibility what's going on. A second thing, let's turn uh, back to Daniel 11. A, a second uh, area, a second reason why we can fall prey to flattery is, is just simple vanity. Hey, build me up. I, I need to be around people that build me up. I need to be around people that just are, are all about uh, how good I am and how, how great I am. I like sycophants. I want them all around me. I, I want to listen to, to them uh, because that makes me feel good about uh, myself versus the, the faithful wounds of a friend. Uh, 
are we trained? Are we trained to correction? Are we do? Are we trained by it? Do we do we? Uh, are we? in a sense, in a right way, eager for that because we know it will help us become a better person. Uh, you know, the, the vanity feed the monster. I want to be around those who build me up. Uh, you know, these people recognize what I've got to offer, my looks, my, my athletic prowess, my intelligence, my organizational skills, my insights into things. These people, uh, these people see it. They, they appreciate that. They, and and they, they talk to me about that, my service, my, my ability to relate to others. And then we begin to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And as we hear these things, okay, yeah, that just adds to the list of the many things that I am. And then we get, we get deceived. And, and don't realize that they're, they're coming in for, for this. Uh, some uh, can get to the point where we seek praise from others more than from God, especially people who are, are starved uh, in, in terms of not receiving praise and, and acknowledgement for the things that, that we've done. It's so starved of that that we can find ourselves, when we start to receive that, uh, from someone that that it begins to be such a pull that it, and be, become an, an, in a sense an idolatry syndrome for for us that we cannot step away from that connection of what we're receiving from that even though if we were to step back and look objectively there may be alter uh, ulterior motives going on here there there may be Satan may be involved in using that person as an instrument to cause us to 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 veer off to where we can't see that clearly. Daniel 11 verse 32, we read uh, quickly through this, this particular verse, but this is, uh, speaks to an, an element of that. Uh, as we uh, deal with this, seeking praise from others more than God, and, and what that eventually leads to, as we veer or as we drift away from the things that are true and right, God's Word, God's Word which opens up our heart to reveal our very nature, as, as Hebrews tells us, as we drift away from that and, and look to receiving the accolades from others or the others who, who build us up regardless, and that becomes a, a hunger that we have. Uh, as, as that happens, we, we drift and notice what it says here in verse 32 again. Daniel 11, verse 32. Those who do wickedly against the covenant. How, how do we avoid being corrupted? How do we avoid being polluted, as the margin renders in this term corrupt? Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he's, he shall corrupt with flattery. So what, what, what is it getting at? It's getting at that, that as we stay grounded in God's Word, as we stay grounded in God's Word molding and shaping us, as we read it and reflect, repent, turn, think on God's ways, it creates a, an ability for us to see that for what it is and not be corrupted by it, not be polluted by that. We call it for what it is and we reject that when we, when we have a situation where an individual is flattering or, or, or doing this for ulterior uh, uh, motives to, uh, to turn us. He shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God the people who know their God. Do you and I know our God? How do we know our God? Well, I'm here. I'm here at services. I know the Sabbath. I'm here. Do we know our God? Do we live by God's way of life? Do we think like God? Do we recognize our inability uh, 
of and by ourselves to choose right from wrong. We have to have God guiding and directing us. We desperately seek God's knowledge. We desperately seek his praise as we go forward in life. Uh, those who work from that perspective that are, that are drawn by the love of God, the love of God to keep his commandments and in his ways, to love those things and to cherish them, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. As we mentioned before, there's probably a reference to the Maccabees at that time and that time in history and what they did. But we are the Israel of God now. And the Israel of God, who knows their God, shall be strong and shall carry out great exploits. Do wickedly against the covenant, and we become susceptible to flattery. Romans 16 Romans 16 is the passage where Paul talks about marking or, or noting those who are causing problems, being able to discern that. Uh, Romans, uh, 16, Romans 16 talks about a ploy that, that they implement and that they may use against us. Romans 16, verse 17 he says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to doctrine, which you learned, and avoid them. As, as Paul said previously, which we just read, th these things are going to happen uh, so that God can determine who is approved uh, um, among them. But he says, what's our responsibility when we see folks who do this? Note them and avoid them. Stay, stay away from that situation. Verse 18, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. How, how do we become simple? Uh, well, you know, a, a, new, a new person to the faith who doesn't understand all of the teachings, you know, they're, they're in a babe situation. They are impressionable. God is with them as they yield to God, as they work to, to follow God's ways and be taught God's ways. God, God nurtures them and brings them through as, as a little child, as that person grows. But that, that child in the faith is to grow up. But we can become simple as we steer clear or veer off away from the heart and core of what God is teaching us through his word. When we become lax in the areas that we know we, we should not become lax in, we start to compromise this, that we become simple. We become simple and, and, uh, and, and then we can, can be deceived by smooth words and flattering speech. Verse 19, he says, for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple, and in this case, innocent. Innocent concerning evil. We hate evil. We hate wickedness and steer clear of that. So then, uh, and then we can be wise in what is good and, and detect flattery when it comes. So how do we not fall prey to it? Let's go to Jude 16. Jude 16. How do we not fall prey to to flattery, to be wise as serpents and harmless as, as doves. We spoke a little bit to that already, but let's look at Jude, Jude 16 and read through the end of, of his epistle. Jude 16, verse, uh, Jude 16 starting, he says, noting some of these apostates that were there at the time, 
apostates that would continue down until Christ's return. Verse 16, these are grumblers, they're complainers. They walk according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Note that. Can we discern that when, when that's happening? Can we discern that when that's happening? Sometimes with us, if we begin to develop a taste for that. But can we discern that in others and, and see that very clearly? They may have an insight or two, but, but that insight is, is, uh, is, is fueled by, by this kind of, of behavior, which, which becomes apparent. Uh, but they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own, uh, their own uh, ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions. They, they don't have the spirit. So he says how to do that, how to not fall prey to it, is, is found here in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, understanding of the plan of God, what God's doing uh, through us, uh, the, the sureness of God's way of life and his word, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. We've got, to, we've got to keep ourselves in that. We've got to earnestly contend for the faith and, and keep ourselves in the love of God, walking in his ways and, and, and reading about him and, and trying to apply that in every aspect of our lives. And, and look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. This is, this is the, the, the seriousness and the wisdom and the discernment that, that we ask for God to, to do as we interact with others. Another aspect uh, to this is, uh, you know, don't be too quick to judge. Some, some individuals, because of their background, it's very awkward for them to show appreciation. I'm, I'm not going to ask uh, how many of you are in that situation, but, but some it's just, it's, it, for some people, it's difficult to, to show appreciation for something. Uh, and, and yet, at, at, as, as they read God's word and under, understand God's word, they see that, uh, that the brethren are to build up and encourage others, and they're, they're striving to do that. But it just comes across awkwardly. Uh, don't, don't be too quick to judge uh, when, it, when it comes across awkwardly. Uh, uh, because the, the person, uh, again, it may not be uh, flattery at all. It's just difficult for them to do so. Uh, but one thing that we look for is, to, is, does the praise seek to create favor? The person, as that person praises us or says something, does the person do that to create favor uh, or, or simply to encourage? Or, or, or simply, as mentioned, to just convey the depth of appreciation that person feels for something? I mean, that, that's a beautiful thing when, when a, person, a person does that. It's a beautiful thing when we can give that, when we can simply convey the depth of appreciation that we feel uh, for, for someone who, who has done something or said something uh, to us that built us up. Is it true or are, or are ulterior motives present? I, 
for me, uh, I, I try not to be too quick to judge when, when, when something like that happens, that a red flag comes up. Why are they, why are they saying this? Uh, I, I, I try to, to, to say don't be quick to judge. If, if there are ulterior motives present, those will manifest themselves over time. They do. They always do. They will eventually manifest themselves over a period of time. The, a pattern will form that this is what they do. But not only, not only pray for, for wisdom and, and discernment to, to be able to, to see that and, and to recognize that, but as God's people, I, I think it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of benefit in, in just simply reflecting on, on how the, the praise that we receive impacts us. How does it impact you when you receive somebody's praise? How does it impact me when I uh, have something that, that someone says in a very positive way? Does it cause me to, or does it cause us to have an, an overinflated view of ourselves? Well, our looks are pretty good. Our knowledge, wow, I'm pretty smart, pretty insightful. Not a lot of people know this. Uh, our service, wow, look at the way I've served in this way, or whatever. Uh, did it do that? Did it cause that to happen? Uh, do we tampen that down right away uh, when it does? Does it hearten us when someone praises us? Because the person appreciated something that we were really trying to offer out of love. We, we actually, as we think about it, you know, I was really trying to do this very nice thing for this person or say this about this person because it's true and I appreciate that. And now, that person has said that, that they appreciated that, that we, we encouraged them. Should, should that hearten us? You bet it should. It should hearten us because we were trying to extend love to that person. That person appreciated that love that we offered. That person thanked us for it. And then we go to God and thank God for using us to, in the way and blessing that effort that we had to try to help that person. That's, that's the beautiful thing of praise. That's the beautiful thing of encouraging and building up one another. But we also know, brethren, we also know that that other little thing can get in there. Uh, that, that thing of, uh, of the, the self-importance or the seeing ourselves as, as being something more uh, than we are when, when someone does praise us. Does this happen? if we've been praised or, and praised frequently for something of which we've, we've come to realize that, you know what, I think this is a gift that God has, has blessed me with through the power of his Holy Spirit to, to serve in this way or to be able to offer this for the, the, the strengthening and the building up of the church. If we have that and then someone comes to us and, and gives criticism, about something. Do we then dismiss others' subsequent criticism? Because others have praised us for this. And, and they've said exactly this is why you're doing such a great job. And then this person comes and criticizes us for something or, or gives us constructive criticism. So we kick that out. Well, I've heard this from these people. Uh, ever had that happen? I have that kick in sometimes when, when, I, when I get criticized for something. I've, I've got to tell myself I must be trained by, uh, by correction in a, in a good way. Uh, we, we do need to be trained by correction. That, that is scriptural. 
Uh, we, we do uh, camp surveys at the end of the year, and we, we have the, the staff uh, gives, gives a camp survey. Uh, they, they all fill out forms, and the campers fill out forms. And, you know, you get, get all these surveys, and then I submit them to a lady who tab, tab, tabulates all of them for all over uh, all of our camps. But, but we get a chance to look at them before, and we get to see the comments that, that folks folks make. And I find myself, you know, right away, I want to say, oh, yeah, they like this. Oh, they like this. Oh, this is great. Isn't our camp great? It's great. Yeah, we got this. And then, then you see a, a, a criticism. Oh, man, come on. I mean, look, we got all this going. And it just, sometimes it just, you want to kick that out. They don't know what they're talking about. And every year, not that, not that I'm sitting in my office just really frustrated every time I, I see any type of criticism, but I, I have to prepare my mind and, and train my mind to want to receive reproof, to want to receive correction on some things that, that I may be able to do better. I've got to stay in that mode. It's nice to receive this praise. It's nice that this person had one of the best experiences that he or she has ever had at camp. But I need to know when, when there are other things. I need to know when there are issues. I need to know when there are things that we need to fine tune to make things better. I've got to keep that in my mind. Uh, otherwise, I can dismiss things. Well, look, we got all these things going on. This is great. Or I can take it in and, uh, and, and use it to be a better person and to, and to run a better camp. These things... Uh, are there. They're there. Uh, we've got to be very, very careful as we, as we look at them and, and, uh, and recognize the motivations that may be there behind what we say or do. Let's go to uh, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. One of the things that can happen with the ministry, and uh, seen this happen over the years, is, is talked about here in Ephesians Four, Ephesians 4 verse 14, Ephesians 4 verse 14, familiar passage to us, it talks about the, the purpose of the church and how the church works together to, to grow to the stature and fullness of Christ. He says here <clears throat> that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, uh, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the, tricky, uh, the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. I remember when I first, uh, and I've, I've told you some of this uh, before, but when I first came into the ministry and got on a, a program at the time that the church had that was called Elders Forum, and it was designed to be a, a, a venue for, for the elders, pastors, elders, uh, all the ministers, to, uh, to write, think about thoughts and ideas, share, share concepts, work to build up uh, and, and grow in our understanding on, on uh, different matters. And uh, as, I, as I got on elders forum, once I was ordained, I began to see very quickly, whoa, 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 wait a second, something is going on here. There are, some, there, there are folks who are definitely agenda-driven there are folks that are pandering, literally just pandering uh, to others, uh, building these folks up to, to, to get them to see their position and to pull them over. To the, it, it was so political, and I, I, I just was aghast uh, when, when I first saw that, and I thought, 
It was disgusting. I, I wanted to stick my finger down my throat and gag. Uh, I gagged without sticking my finger down my throat. How, 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 do, how do others not see this? How do some not see this? How, how do some not, not, not recognize that this is clearly what's going on here? And, again, as, as we would say, as, as you watch a, a political uh, uh, stump speech where a person's saying all these things and, and pandering, it's like, oh, this is so obvious. I see it. It's so clear. Well, it, it, it was very clear to me as I, as I saw that, and yet at the same time, uh, as, as I look at my own life and some of the things that I've said at different times, I think, do I, do I fall prey to that sometimes? Do I sometimes say this that may not be exactly the truth, but in, in trying to build someone up and encourage someone, maybe say something that, that is more a bit of flattery. I mean, for, for a good purpose to build them up, but it's not true. That, that's not right, brethren. It's not right. And we, we can fall into that. I've fallen into that, again, a, a time or two. As we fall into that, we can, we can, we can become uh, tossed to and fro by the wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. No, verse 15, speak the truth in love. As, as you and I speak the truth in love to one another, we grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. All of it works together. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. By transgression, an evil man is snared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. Let's turn finally to Psalm 5. When complimented, truly give God the credit. Thank him uh, for allowing us to serve in such a way or give in such a way or, or say something in such a way that truly did impact another person to where that person complimented us. Pray for discernment to recognize when uh, it, it is a, a, a true praise or, or in, when there might be ulterior motives. Pray for wisdom in that. Don't react too quickly. Seek God's praise. He sees all. He sees everything about us that makes us tick. Humans don't. Always remember that. Always remember that. God sees all. So we want, we want his praise first and foremost. But, but it is a joy to receive praise when we, we've done something well for the right reasons. And it's a joy to be able to give praise as we note that in others. Have we ever received praise about something from someone else? Genuine praise? And upon considering it further, you know, we realized that we were not pure in our motivation for what we did or said. When we see that and we recognize that, do we humbly repent or do we develop a taste for how that felt for that person being pleased by something that we said, even though what we said was not of a pure motive? Psalm 5, I think, speaks to, speaks to this as we go forward uh, in recognizing <clears throat> this great God that we serve who is pure in every way. Let's close with that as we considered, consider flattery, praise, receiving, and giving praise in our lives going forward. Psalm 5, verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord, as David 
says this, this prayer, this, this song to God. Consider my meditation, what, what I'm dwelling on here in my thoughts. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I'll direct it to you, and I will look up, connected with God. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The eternal abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy and in fear of you, awesome reverence of, of God, in fear of you I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make, make your way straight before my face. God can make that way straight for us in, in the words that we say, the thoughts that we have as we go forward. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat's an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those who also love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Eternal, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him as with a shield. I want all of us, and I want yours truly, to be surrounded by a shield. May we be ever vigilant to understand flattery and steer clear of it.